Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Kind Parenting Company podcast. I'm Jackie Ward. And I'm Kylie Camps. Join us as we explore topics and share evidence-based information, all while honoring our commitment to kind parenting practices. This is a safe space for conversation and reflections on parenting and motherhood, designed to best support you in raising your little loves and to be the parent you want to be. We are so excited that you're here. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This week I am so excited because I am joined by Lauren Brown. Lauren is a paediatric speech pathologist and the owner of Stutter Free Kids. Lauren's been working in this field for over 13 years now and all of that experience has combined to help her develop a really unique integrative approach to stuttering therapy. She's combined her speech pathology training with a really holistic understanding of the key foundations for optimal childhood development and the unique needs of children who stutter. Through her work, Lauren teaches families how to enhance speech therapy outcomes for children and ultimately to help them speak stutter free. What really piqued my interest in Lauren's work um, is the focus and I suppose expertise she has on supporting highly sensitive children, which is something I know many of you are interested in too. So as part of our chat today, I've asked Lauren to cover um, her interest in this and also to speak a little bit more about the interplay of high sensitivity in stuttering too, because I know that's a, a huge part of your work with your clients. So that is something that we will be covering too. So we can do that though. Let's invite her in. Welcome, Lauren. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so nice to be chatting with you again, Lauren. So I'm really glad that you have jumped in with me today. Uh, You probably heard I just did a little bit of a professional introduction to you, but perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about yourself, where you are and, and what you're all about. Yeah, absolutely. So, as you said, I'm a paediatric speech pathologist. Uh, I specialize in stuttering, particularly childhood stuttering. Um, And yes, I'm the owner of a company called Stutter Free Kids. So, I work with children and families to be able to help them be able to speak stutter free, basically. And so, I've been working in the field for, gosh, I feels like a million years. It's only been 13. And, <laughs> and yourself. Uh, yes. And um, yeah, over that time, I've, you know, been developing, um, you know, specific and integrative ways to be able to really help children who stutter as, you know, in my early years of speech pathology, it can be really frustrating when you're seeing so many clients and you're not necessarily seeing the outcomes that you want. And so, over the years of sort of oh, that didn't work and why didn't that work, didn't, you know, why didn't that work and kind of, you know, figuring out what might be going on behind the scenes. This sort of integrative approach has sort of come to the surface and, um, yeah, now I absolutely love working in stuttering because it's really a beautiful thing to be able to, you know, do for families is to help children overcome stuttering and know that their life is going to be stutter-free and that they can, um, you know, communicate easily and, and have interactions and feel really comfortable and confident with their communication. 
Mm, such a big impact, I can imagine, not only on the child, but on their, their future, and as you say, the whole family too. So um, we're going to dive deep, hopefully, into a little bit more about that integrative approach and what it might look like in your work. But perhaps we can step back. Um, I wanted to ask you, I was actually interested, is stuttering, has it always been your focus in speech pathology or have you worked broadly? Like, how did this come about, I suppose? What was your interest in specialising? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, initially when you go through university, you'll come out a generalist and you make your little decisions. Am I going to go left or right? Am I going to do this or that? Um, I always knew I wanted to work with children. Um, I've always had a real pull to be able to help children. Um, and, you know, one of the main areas that does come up pretty early on is stuttering. It's quite common, um, you know, between sort of five, seven percent of um, all preschool children will stutter at some point. And so we see a lot of very worried parents and the you know, majority of kids in those early stages, they don't really notice, but you know, parents can be really, really distressed by stuttering. Um, and I just really wanted to be able to know how to help them. And so I got training early on, additional training outside of my university degree to be able to um, use a particular program, which was designed here in, in actually in Sydney called the Lidcombe mm-hmm. Program okay. um, and in the Lidcombe University. And so it's a really effective program. It's really wonderful. Um, And I've started using that from the time I was trained and working really closely with a lot of families um, and started to kind of move in the direction of specialising in stuttering. Um, But it wasn't really until I started to come across the links between stuttering and high sensitivity and regulation and neurodiversity that I really was like, okay, this is it. This is my field and jumped completely in headfirst and I've never resurfaced. Yeah, incredible. And I will share uh, the link to your Instagram because I think that's how we first connected. Um, Your passion for this is so evident and I'm constantly, even though I personally don't have a child who stutters, I'm, I'm constantly learning so much from you about all of those fields you've just mentioned. So let's jump into that. Let's talk about this um, correlation or this interplay that you you have found and you know have explored at such depth when it comes to children who stutter and high sensitivity. Yeah, maybe perhaps for anyone that's new to the subject, could you just talk a little bit first about high sensitivity, um, what it is, maybe how it's defined, and what it really means in a day to day play out for children who are highly sensitive. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's a, a type of a way that the brain develops. It's a, you know, a really normal way of like a difference in how the brain develops. It's, you know, between sort of 20 to 30 percent of people are highly sensitive mm-hmm. um, and it has a, an effect on the brain of being able to make it hyper aware of the environment. So whether that's, you know, being hyper aware of the scratchy tag on the back of your shirt or the sand in your shoes or the smell of the food that you're cooking that, you know, your child has never smelt before or whether that's a new environment or a new person. Um, but they also tend to be really highly sensitive to other people's moods and emotions. So there's, you know, increased empathy, there's increased reactivity. Um, there's a whole range of sort of um, signs and um, indicators to know if your child is highly sensitive. Um, when I start talking about it, you know, usually I'll say you know, things like, oh, you know, do you notice your child is super aware of things that other kids aren't aware of or that they need longer to warm up than another child that you notice if they're in a new environment or, you know, they um, tend to, you know, find it difficult to fall asleep after a busy day or, 
you know, they're the, the child that, you know, you can't get the shoes right every time you tie them, that sort of thing. Um, and usually by about one or two or three of those, parents are starting to nod if they've got a highly <laughs> sensitive child and going, yes, 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 I know that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it was for, like when I first discovered this and started to look into it, it was like a series of lights being turned on and it was yes. so, I mean, I say illuminative because of that metaphor of using the lights, but it really was illuminating to be able to understand my little person who is highly sensitive based on all this information and say, oh, like, this makes sense now. I understand why, you know, the behaviours and the preferences and, um, yeah, just the style of, of being made so much sense. So yeah. you've ticked off quite a few of the, you know, the big ones that you said, no doubt there will be parents listening to this that perhaps it's the first time they've come across the term and they will be nodding and saying, oh, my goodness, this is our experience. This is what it's like for my little one. If parents suspect high sensitivity, could you maybe share some suggestions of where they could get more information on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my favourite resources are Elaine Aaron, who wrote, you know, a plethora of books on the subject. Um, and she has a really beautiful website where you can go and do a little self-test for adults and also for children, um, highly sensitive child, a highly sensitive person. Um, they're all, you know, my go-to resources. There's lots of, of high sensitivity tests available if you just look, you know, on the search engine. But she's probably the one that I trust the most because she's done a huge amount of, you know, lifetime of research into it. Okay. Um, so that's my go-to. Brilliant, I'll list those. All right, sorry, segue there, but back to you. So <laughs> we know about the existence of this trait, this trait of high sensitivity. And what do you think um, it is or, or what's the relationship with stuttering? Yeah, so it, it's not a... Um, a connection that I was aware of for a long time. So it's not something that I learned about in university. It's not something that I came across in any of my professional developments that I did for stuttering. I did many of them over the years. And it really came about um, quite organically before I, I delved in and found there was a bunch of research on it um, that just wasn't being really spoken about. But, you know, I noticed it first because as part of the Lucan program, we take a daily rating of a child's um, stuttering severity that we kind of you know, think, oh, okay, between a zero and a nine, where would you put them today? You know, maybe a one, maybe a two, maybe an eight. Um, so we've got this daily rating that families are doing at home and we'd see these patterns where, you know, we'd see the stuttering be really low for a while and then it would really come high for a while or we'd be really great and then we'd see this giant spike and I just got really curious and went, okay, well, what's happening around these days where the stuttering is higher? Do you notice anything? Has anything changed? You know, maybe, um, you know, they were unwell or something and started to collect this list of things that were you know, really common things that were kind of aggravating stutters to get worse. And they were, when you started writing them down, things like we went to a birthday party, we ate new food, uh, we didn't have a good night's sleep, we got unwell. Um, you know, other ones would be things like it was Christmas, it was really exciting, it was their birthday, it was Easter, we ate a lot of chocolate, we went away on holidays, um, you know, we had a loss in the family. You know, it could be good, could be bad, but it was all this same sort of story again and again and again of like and I, I myself being highly sensitive went hang on a second <laughs> this, <makes> so <laughs> this much looks sense. like another list that I've seen and yeah. started to kind of really go okay there must be something maybe somebody else has seen this and talking about it and um 
And it took me a while to find other, you know, pieces of research that supported it. But um, yeah, there is, there is research out there. They don't use the term high sensitivity most of the time. There's a couple of species that do. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time they'll, you know, look at it more in terms of emotional reactivity or regulation or, you know, a difficulty in coming from a, you know, um, a dysregulating event back into their own internal regulation. So things like that. But when you look at the, the list of, um, of characteristics, it's all the same characteristics as high sensitivity. Incredible. Incredible. I think which makes yeah, yeah it, it does. It makes perfect sense, and I can imagine for you as a professional in the field, but also yep. for parents that are like scratching their heads and wanting to do all they can to support their little one through this. Yep. That is such an unlock. Like to understand oh. that is phenomenal. And it makes all the difference. And, you know, there's one um, particular speech pathologist in the States who did her own sort of internal research with her client base. And she found around 85% of her children who started were also had all the characteristics of high sensitivity. Um, Whereas only about 20 to 30% of the other children that she was seeing were, which would be that normal percentage. Um, And so, and I I do my own sort of testing. Mine would be much higher than that. Mine would be more in that sort of 90 plus percent of the kids that I see for stuttering have some kind of sensitivity whether it's you know moderate or whether it's really high but none of them are really in that no sensitivity you know mm. that real kind of don't know if you've heard of that the, the dandelion and the yes. orchid child you know they, they're much more likely to be orchid children than dandelion children the ones that you know you can stand on and they're totally fine they're like just resilient <laughs> to wherever they are okay. yeah exactly yeah fantastic yeah this this is making a lot of sense you said just a moment ago that while perhaps in the research and the literature to date they don't necessarily use the term high sensitivity but they use things about the emotional reactivity and and whatnot and i think um when we're looking behaviorally at kids, so stuttering aside, when we're looking to support children that might be having challenges, um, often that's, they're the first things parents notice anyway, or they'll come in and communicate that, you know, they find it incredibly hard to wind down at yeah. the end of a busy day or that um, they're very concerned with um, other people's feelings and reactions and get themselves equally involved um, in other people's emotional reactions too. So, for example, um, you know, highly sensitive kids at preschool, if there's an upset with one of their friends, the highly sensitives will most likely um, be themselves crying or feeling the emotion yeah, as well. Exactly. So I think it just makes so much sense um, Absolutely. That, that would impact their ability to communicate if that um, predisposition to stuttering is there. Absolutely. And, you know, when we're looking at stuttering, one thing that has been known for a really long time is that it's really connected to overload. So mm-hmm. when we're doing something more complex, a more complex language task um, or a more stressful um, language interaction. So, you know, for, for adults who stutter, they'll often report things like answering the phone is really stressful or, you know, public speaking, which we all find, you know, more difficult or things where there's, you know, some level of overload or, um, or stress on the system. Mm-hmm. And we look at high sensitivity, we know that their potential for be feeling stress in their system is so heightened because they are more likely to be taking on that information that, you know, other kids necess- aren't necessarily taking on. And so this potential for overload is so much higher. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, when we look at, you know, what is overloading a child, we can then start to uncover what we can do to support their stutter because if we can unpack the overload, we can we can help to reduce the stuttering because the stuttering and the overload go together. Yes, yeah, how incredible. So for clients that do come to see you, Lauren, um, actually, I, I was keen to ask, first of all, for parents that perhaps are just noticing the beginning of a stutter or what they suspect might evolve into a stutter, what's the recommendation from you in terms of when to seek 
professional support with that Yeah, absolutely. And that is probably one area where I do differ a little bit from traditional sort of speech therapy. And I think that's something that I've come to over the years of seeing high sensitivity at play is that, you know, in the sort of generalist world, when we see a starter come through, unless it's been there for sort of six to 12 months, then that's the just wait and see, you know, we'll call you, you know, come back when they're, you know, four, come back when it's been there, if it's been there for another six months, um, or, you know, we'll put you on a wait list and, you know, we'll see when a spot pops up kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I have a really big issue with that for high sensitivity. As I show you know, with a highly sensitive child, that their potential for um, sort of negative experiences is so high Um, they're so perceptive to the reactions of people around them and if you kind of think about that in terms of if they're stuttering and you know if some parents are going to be incredible at sort of presenting in a way that isn't going to be distressing to a child but it can be really difficult for other children and other adults to uh, not react to a child that is struggling to speak and Mm -hmm. to have that child have that interaction again and again and again of, oh, there's something different, you know, people aren't wanting to listen to me or they're talking over me or maybe I just won't talk. And I mean, the amount of even little preschoolers I see who will cover their mouth and say, oh, I can't talk, I can't talk. And it breaks my heart to think that that child would be left for six, nine, 12 months in those early download years when they are, you know, creating their sense of who they are in the world to just yeah. muddle through on their own and pick up any kind of messaging that is sort of thrown at them yeah. um, when we don't have to. We don't have yes. to leave them for that long. You know, um, yes, from a, you know, a busy practice perspective, we might not have the space for it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's best practice for these kids to be left without any kind of you know support and for families to because parents are often you know feeling that anxiety very very strongly um to kind of be left without support so um i kind of work in a very different model that you know there are things we look for you know because there are types of stutters that are more likely to go away than others and sometimes right. stutters do just go away sometimes you know it's not every stutter is going to need um some sort of you know therapy or treatment but we don't know which ones will and which ones won't. Um, And if your child is highly sensitive, I definitely err on the side of support and see rather than wait and see. Mm -hmm. Teaching families how they can actually be implementing really simple strategies that can be enough to help that child to feel positive about their communication, enough to potentially, if that study is going to go away on its own, it just buffers them a little bit through that time and if it's not going to go away on its own we're learning those foundational skills to be able to then if we do need to go in and do more therapy then we've got a foundational understanding of how we can reduce overload how we can support language and how we can help that child to feel positive about their communication yeah that makes so much sense to me and I think that um you know just listening to you talk about that I'm just sort of trying to think what would be the reasons that perhaps um, there is resistance um, to doing that. To me, it just seems like such a great approach and, and why not, you know, if you if you are able to link in with an appropriate support, like you said, the benefits of either being ahead of it or, or onto it if it is something that's likely to persist or, you know, failing that, just being in a situation where you do have some strategies up your sleeve to support them through the tricky time um, makes so much sense. But why is it do you think that people resist perhaps seeking that? support do you mean parents why yeah. parents would resist yeah, 
Oh, look, I think, you know, from the families that I've worked with, it can be really scary. I think mm-hmm. it's similar to, you know, um, calling a doctor about something you're scared about it, you know, you've got this, you know, strange symptom and you don't know what it's going to mean. And I think for a lot of families making that call and, you know, that fear of hearing on the other end, oh, no, there's nothing we can do. Oh, no, your child's going to stutter forever. Um, or, you know, we don't have space for you. Or, you know, the worst one, like your child's the exception. We could fix every other child, but we can't help yours. You know, it's there's so many big, you know, stories that kind of go on as parents where we have so much fear and anxiety for our children and their well-being yeah. um, that I think often making that call can be really daunting. Yeah. And especially Actually, you know, if you've got a child that stutters, there's a really good chance there's someone else in the family that's had a stutter as well. And so you've always got, you know, maybe Auntie May saying, oh, well, you know, your little Johnny had a stutter and it went away. And, you know, your grandpa stuttered and now he's fine. And, you know, there's all these stories. And, oh, you know, my child didn't talk today. We're eight and it's not a problem. Everyone's got a story to share. Everyone's got a story. Yes. Um, and so it's confusing. And then you look on, you know, on Instagram or you look online and everybody's, you know, got a different opinion about, you know, what you're meant to do and when you're meant to do it. And, it's a lot. It's overloading. Yeah. It's and you know, if a child's highly sensitive, good chance mum or dad is as well. And so you add that in the mix, and I yes. think it is. It's a lot. And yeah. and if you don't know who to go to and you don't know who to trust, it, it you know it can be hard to make that decision because they're your precious baby and you want yeah. you know the right person for them. Yeah, which I completely understand. So hopefully, in having conversations like this today, it can dispel a little bit of the unknown associated with that because. You know, I do understand families that haven't been involved with the speech um, therapist or pathologist before. That is a great unknown. Who knows what that's going to look like? So hopefully through this conversation, we can sort of wash away or perhaps unpack some of those those concerns and put them to the site so that families are yeah. able to, to seek out the right support. What age typically do you see your clients first? Is there a typical age of onset for stuttering? Absolutely. So um, the way that stuttering is sort of linked with overload, it tends to be very much linked with our first overload, which is language learning. So generally around that time where your child starts to put between sort of two to four words together. So that depends on the age of the child. Some children are doing that at 18 months. Some children aren't doing that until they're three. But preschool years tend to be the typical time for onset of a stutter, um, you know, when that language complexity goes from, you know, mine to mummy, where's my ball? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get these huge language explosions where we're combining so many different combinations of words and, um, and then we often see it, you know, popping up around times where if a child is highly sensitive, where they've had some sort of, you know, big change or transition, it does often correlate in those preschool years to the birth of a sibling or the starting of kindy or daycare or, you know, some sort of change in the environment. Um, and for highly sensitive children, that can sometimes be the catalyst, but it's not the cause. Um, you know, that sort of underlying predisposition for stuttering um, is there within the system and then some kind of overload um, will often trigger it. Mm, interesting. Okay. And you mentioned before that there are some ty- I didn't realise this, but there are different types of stutters. So some that yeah. will spontaneously resolve um, and others that demand uh, special support, I suppose, moving forward. What, like, um, is that strictly for a professional to differentiate or are there signs that might give, Absolutely. you know, indication? What's, what's the guideline there? 
Absolutely. So yeah, I have them, you know, all, all of my resources basically, because I think it is really important to know, you know, what we're looking at. And again, we won't know for sure, but we have little kind of indicators. So um, the main ones that are very typical for a child that will need some kind of support are that there's a family history of stuttering is a really big one. If there's any family history, regardless of how long that stutter has been there for, I recommend some sort of, um, you know, contact be made um, yeah. with a speech therapist. Um, the type of stuttering you're seeing so we have different sort of varieties of stuttering you know and some are more mild and less disruptive to the system and some are more significant and more disruptive to the system so um, the milder types might be the repetition of a whole phrase like you know where's my where's my where's my car and a lot of kids will do that. If you walked into any preschool, you'd hear every child in there doing stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're thinking and they're processing and they're getting out part of that sentence before they kind of get through the rest of it. Um, the less that a child is able to get out before it repeats in that timing loop and mechanism, the more significant. So then we would move into like maybe the whole word, like my, my, my car would mm-hmm. be the whole word being rep- um, repeated. And then we might actually get just like the beginning sound of a word repeated, like b-b-b-b-b-ball, where that first only the sound is coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes that sound gets stretched out, like my car, where the sound is really stretchy. And then the most significant is when no sound comes out at all. And for these kids, it's called blocking. And mm-hmm. um, often the airflow stops. I've had a little one where we used to go purple in the face, trying to get a word out. And so those ones, when we start moving into sort of sound and blocking, when it's, you know, a sound repetition, a prolongation or a block, those are the ones where we go, okay, let's jump in, do something straight away because they cause tension and distress in the child's body, but also for people listening to that child. And so we're more likely to be getting negative sort of feedback Mm. um, from the, you know, child's own frustration and also from the people they're talking to. Yeah, okay. Well, that yep. gives a good indication for parents that might be picking up on these, perhaps the beginnings of, of these types of speech patterns. So that's, that's really helpful. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So when a client comes to see you, say you've got one of your new brand new little clients, um, could you talk us through broadly, so generally speaking, your approach because you've mentioned the Lidcom um, framework that you've studied mm-hmm. under and that's something that you really um, like focus on but then you have this beautiful holistic view of stuttering you know in a much wider context so can you talk us through some of the things that perhaps a client that was working with you that could expect to um, come you know, work through with you? Absolutely so yeah initially it is you know very focused on you know, is there a stutter? Is it something we need to be looking at? So looking at those sort of red flag indicators of, yes, we do want to look at it or we want to maybe support it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, especially using the Lucan um, program, being able to sort of track a daily number. Initially, I'll get families to just start tracking. Okay, what does it look like every day? What sort of number are you giving them every day? Does it change throughout the day? Does it change throughout the week? 
Um, I also get them to do a high sensitivity test so we get a bit of a, a brief overview of, okay, are they maybe more sensitive to sensory things like, you know, loud noises, bright lights, strong smells, or are they more, you know, sensitive to social things like new places and people and interactions and people's emotions or sometimes it's all of it, sometimes it's a few things, but yeah. a brief overview. And then we start to kind of piece those two things together. And so when we're looking at that data that a parent is sort of showing, going, okay, on Friday, the number was really high. Let's have a look. Okay, what happened on Friday? You know, was there, what happened on Thursday? (laughs) Um, You know, what's going on in that sort of part of the week? And often we'll see things like, oh, you know, it's low in the beginning of the week and high at the end of the week. And we can go, okay, well, they're at school all week. Maybe it's fatigue. Or maybe it's that they need more connection time with mum or dad or maybe there's an issue, social issue going on at school. And so we become little detectives really over time, sort of piecing it together. Um, You know, there are sort of foundational pillars that I'll always be looking at, Um, things like physical health. Are they sleeping? Um, What's their airway quality like? Are they sleeping well? Are they getting enough oxygen? Um, You know, what's their physical health like? Are they unwell a lot? Do we need to bring in other resources for, you know, their physical health and well-being? And my role as a speech pathologist is to, you know, treat the, the stuttering but I know about the rest of it to kind of kind of pull in when we need to, Um, you know, and that other pillars would be things like attachment and connection, you know, are there signs there that that child is sort of needing more um, of connection building things. Um, Lucum is beautiful for that because it, it already kind of, pulls in a lot of that within the therapy type of you know it's a one-to-one activity daily we can kind of wrap it up as this special unique time for you know parent and child Mm -hmm. but we can enhance you know types of activities and the types of language we use if we're kind of looking at those numbers thinking maybe it's attachment and connection that child is sort of calling for for their system to regulate or is it sensory? Do we need to pull in some OT stuff? Do we need to be aware of, you know, what's going on for them from their sensory system? Or is it more nervous system? Are they sort of running at a really high level with their nervous system? Do we need to pull in more sort of, um, you know, calming and regulating type stuff? And often it's a little bit of everything. And for some kids, it's you know, more one than the other. Um, or is it purely language and cognitive overload? Do we actually need to, you know, help this child to process language better? And do we need to you know slow down what we're saying and to help support what they're understanding and how we're giving instructions and all of that sort of cognitive stuff so those are the kind of pillars sort of physical and connection and um and language and you know those ones are the, are the, the main ones that i'll be looking at amazing amazing and again as you speak it's just it's so wonderful to hear um this broad and holistic focus because i think very rarely can we ever um not find value in looking at the big picture or sort of drawing the parallel when you were talking about just physical things too like um quality of sleep and mm-hmm. um diet as well i know mm-hmm. so often behaviorally when we look at children who are having really big struggles you'll find that they're poor sleepers or that, you know, they've got an airway obstruction that, or, you know, um, breathing difficulties that causes poor sleep quality that causes behaviour. And I know absolutely as a loving parent, it's so easy to, to get anxious or worried and concerned or focused on the, the symptom. But I think there's just such value in looking and considering um, all of those influences as well. So it's interesting that it plays such a big part in, in stuttering. Absolutely. And, I mean, 
depending on the impact it's having on the child, it can have the biggest impact. I had a little one who was, um, you know, stuttering at our highest, you know, rating level of an eight to a nine on a daily basis and had major airway issues and had, you know, adenoids removed and that, you know, airway obstruction was resolved and within one day went from a nine to a two in their stuttering severity. So, you know, if that's the main thing that is causing the system to be out of balance, it can make huge differences to the disfluency. And sometimes we don't know what it is until we start digging and looking at all of those holistic areas. And if we didn't know about it, we'd be, you know, and this is the reason I started looking, we, you know, frustration and setback and we get a little way and then we take 10 steps backwards and why isn't it working? And it works for a bit and then it stops and then we have a great run and then we have a really rubbish time and, you know, it's just so frustrating and parents are, you know, so it takes so much investment to, you know, physical time money energy all of it to go through speech therapy and to do that and then to feel like you're getting setbacks and it's not moving as smoothly and we don't know why Mm. um that i think is the you know the most frustrating part and the reason that made me dig deeper because you know it's it's frustrating for everybody and we want the outcome we want we want these kids to be stutter free and so you know the difference of you know even just the difference of understanding you know a lot of my clients now will turn up and be like yeah we had high numbers but, you know, they didn't sleep. We had a birthday party. It was Easter time. Grandma came to stay and we were like, okay, cool. We understand okay, why. We're fighting. <laughs> yeah, I think that's such a big part of this is um, parental or family, let's say broader family understanding, because when we understand these things and when we truly understand high sensitivity and the impact that has on all facets of life and being and well-being, like you say, it can really um, ease our own anxieties, which of course will have a flow on effect and it's just dare I say, revolutionary, I think, in in treating things like stuttering behavioural challenges the whole lot. So it's really interesting. You know, I was just thinking as you explained about, um, you know, that pattern that so often can happen is we take steps forward and then back or we have setbacks. I think that this is something I just wanted to touch on. You know, we're so lucky these days with social media and um, the the internet widely, I suppose, that there's so much information out there, right, for anything that comes up, parents or caregivers can go and research and Google, listen to podcasts, um, link in with things. But I think that there is, while that's all very valuable, I think there's such value in partnering up with a professional who can be on that journey with you because there are things um, that are easily missed that a professional is going to know from, you know, years of experience and working with countless other clients things that might be considered that are going to be an unlock, like high sensitivity. So I just wanted to touch on that too, that if this is something that, um, so let's use stuttering, since that's what we're talking about, um, you know, when you've researched and Googled or perhaps you've seen professionals that haven't been able to, you know, provide that unlock, I would encourage you to not leave it there, to keep seeking support until you are able to match up with the kind that, that works for your little one. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. And I think parents and caregivers, they know when something isn't quite right. Um, and that is a really big part of, you know, what I actually really love about Instagram is to be able to speak to that part that that parent is going, actually, I had a feeling that, you know, going down this pathway that was sort of really clinical or really sterile or, you know, that waiting for another six months didn't feel right, but that's what they told me to do. And I'm so glad that somebody else is saying, oh, you know, you can trust that feeling because, you know, I agree with that. And, you know, it's it's sad that we have to have that sort of reinforcement that it's okay to trust those feelings because in my experience, you know, parents always know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they always know. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, you know, but it is, it is really important to find somebody that you really do have that, oh, this feels right. This has this, you know, for myself, for my child, for our family and, you know, and have that sort of connection I think is really important. Yeah, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I think so So much of our upbringing is around being socialised to trust the expert, trust the expert, yeah. which of course they come with expertise, but totally. there's such a big part of it too that, you know, like you said, our gut or our parental instinct, you, you'll know if it's not right for you and your family and your child and, yeah, we absolutely need to honour that instinct as well. And certainly, interestingly, our if your child is highly sensitive, they will have incredible instinct about oh, yeah. <laughs> who is right <laughs> or not right to support them. Absolutely. <laughs> um, which is one of the gifts of sensitivity, that they have incredible uh, intuition and ability to, um, to tap into that intuition, I suppose. So I think that deserves consideration as well. Absolutely. I see that all the time. You know, I've had a number of families coming from, you know, different ways that they've made themselves, you know, coming to this service from other services or from other types of therapy that they've, you know, looked at and tried and, um, you know, and they've said things like, oh, you know, my child just wouldn't do it. They, you know, I tried to get them to do this and they just refused. Mm -hmm, (laughs) It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, yeah, they, these highly sensitive kids, they come with a different, you know, a different blueprint and they, they won't be sort of coerced or pushed into to things that are not in alignment for them, which I love. Yeah, me too. They're so perceptive. Can I just share yep. a quick personal story on yeah, that? Absolutely. So I was chatting to Lauren before we started um, recording today and letting her know one of my little guys has had gastro. And anyway, it ended us up in emergency last week because um, he just purely wasn't getting enough fluid in. So that was a problem. And anyway, he is highly sensitive without doubt. And so we're in um, emergency and it was quite obvious that the emergency nurse who was supporting us that night was probably at the end of his shift. He was probably over it. But my son that was there um, is in feeding therapy because he has a very restricted set of things that he'll happily eat. And so, of course, this poor nurse was banging his head up against the wall trying to get my son to eat juice and lollies and something that would help bring his sugars up because he was so dehydrated but my son doesn't like any of that and so we were trying we were trying and the nurse was being so patient and you know I could tell that he was getting frustrated but he was just really persistent and trying to be supportive but when we were finally discharged at about two o'clock in the morning the first thing my son said to me was well that nurse really didn't like me he found me really annoying didn't he and I thought and and I was like, mm, yeah, he probably did. <laughs> but just, you know, the, the nurse was professional and whatnot, but he, uh, like my son, was so aware um, of the feelings coming from that person and the way he was being perceived and the energy around the whole situation. And like you touched on, there was no way he was going to be coerced into having an apple juice when that wasn't part of his yeah. his plan. So yeah. they really do have exceptional strength and conviction in their own intuition as well. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Back to you. I just wanted to ask one more question about the um, the sort of plan or progress of therapy with you. Um, how long for parents that are just getting into this and, you know, perhaps thinking about um, a ch- their child might need professional support, what's the typical or is there a typical um play out of therapies like this (laughs) yeah it's uh for highly sensitive children it's a whole different game um so you know back in the day when I was doing Lidcom and you know it would be getting a a mix of kids and some with high sensitivity and others not and um you know I'd always have that question you know some one child would come through and it would be you know the way that you know the Lidcom program describes like oh you know 12 weeks in and out and you go okay and it worked (laughs) 
great. Okay. Yeah. Another kid and it's like 12 weeks, 12, okay, no, we're up to nine, you know, oh, no, it's a couple of months now. Oh, now we're up to a year, okay. <laughs> and so with high sensitivity, it is so dependent on that child and their overload. And okay. so depending on what's going on in their environment, what's going on at home, what's going on internally, it, you know, how long's a piece of string? Mm-hmm. Um what I do see, though, is that when we are really consistent and when we continue to be aware of their environment, we don't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. We just have to be aware of it and to kind of just be that little buffer system of, oh, this particular thing is continually a stressor. Let's buffer that. It doesn't take forever. It is an end. The process does eventually come to an end. You know, I've got some kids that it's four months, some kids it's nine months. I've got even some that it's been 18 months, but we are consistently making that progress of we're seeing those numbers come down we're not seeing more regressions than we're seeing progress we're seeing that yes we are coming to the point where this study is going to go away mm, i guess um, that's really what i was asking you've gone yeah. to the heart of it is is there is there an end point even if it does absolutely. stretch to those longer lengths you can say that there's an end point where- there absolutely is an end point and mm-hmm. i think you know that can be it's a marathon i often say to parents this is a marathon not a sprint we need to conserve that energy you know we don't want to go really really you know hard fast at it right at the beginning because we probably are going to be here for a while especially with these complex little high sensitivity kiddos who need us to be in it with them every day and helping them and you know especially if they're really little we don't know they're not necessarily able to communicate with us all the things that are causing disruption and so we are you know walking that path alongside them and figuring it out with them and um, you know sometimes that does take a while and sometimes we see that the stutter goes away and then something you know especially for that school transition or new sibling transition it's like okay it's gone it's down to zeros and ones but then they started school and it's back for a bit okay and we do the same thing again we look at the environment we do the the language um modification stuff that we need to help their system to reduce that overload and it does go away again Mm. but it's not always a linear process and it's definitely not something we can go this many sessions or this many months and um you know but i think you know the part that keeps families being able to kind of keep in it is we do monitor it and we do see consistent progress and change um and so i think that's the main thing you know if you were doing the same thing for a year and not seeing any change then you'd think okay we're not doing the right thing um Mm -hmm. and that's why we're always every week we're looking at it and going okay are we doing the right thing yeah yeah and is the end goal here does it completely extinguish or is it likely to be something there you know under the surface even that can reignite um, down the track through stressful events or, or can it just go forever? Yeah, so, you know, the research into, you know, what causes stuttering and, you know, why some kids just start and why they stop and, you know, it's still a little vague. Mm-hmm. Um, in, you know, the, what is available in the research, it does look like it's to do with how the brain works and then the neural pathways for that internal timing mechanism for speech and um, communication oh. so that there's a disruption in how those neurons are kind of speaking to each other and that they're less effective at sort of clearing out the excess in those neural pathways and so when you're getting flooded with you know lots and lots of information those pathways get jammed up um and so that's something that is inherent within that child's brain and makeup um what I do see, though, is that when we do the LeadCom program and we do that with that integrative approach of looking at their environment and eventually teaching that child about their own sensitivity, um, 
more often than not, we don't see it come back. We might see it raise its head a little bit at certain times, but as soon as we know how to do deal with that, it does tend to go away. Um, and so, you know, for the majority of children that I see, you know, when I check in with families down the track, it hasn't come back and it doesn't come back. Mm. Um, so, you know, that internal timing mechanism may or always be there within the system, but that it's it's no longer, you know, having that same effect. For other kids, especially older children, once we reach a certain age, um, you know, the cutoff for the real effectiveness of the lichen is, you know, around that sort of between 9 and, and 10, sometimes up to 11 at the most. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes that study is going to be there in some form forever, but then we look at more how we can, more on that management side of things, more on the environment and their own management of their regulation and their nervous system and their breathing and all of those things. So yeah. much better to get it early um, yeah. when we can have that effect of they don't have to think about it and for them their communication is fluent and they don't have to manage it at all yes. um, than to wait until those later years where it is more of a managing, um, you know, through their life. But, um, yeah, the best outcome is that it goes away. Yeah, yeah, what a gift. What a gift your work and, and you are no doubt to your clients too. We have shared clients in the past and, yeah, the feedback that they share with me is always how exceptional this has been. So, um, oh, yeah, you. such important work you're doing. So before I let you go, Lauren, a question I love to ask all of our guests that come onto the podcast, and I'll ask you the same one, is if you can share with us um, if there's been a book that has impacted you or changed your life in some way. It doesn't need to be related to your work, although it can be. Um, something that you could share with us that I will link in the show notes. Yeah, oh, look, it has to be the highly sensitive person. Oh, actually, yeah, it has yeah. to be because I didn't know I was highly sensitive until I was like close to 30. Really? Okay. <laughs> yes. And I picked up a book in, I was traveling overseas and this book was the, it's a very odd story, but it was the only English book in a bookshop in Slovenia of all places oh, and it was like it's not serendipitous right? it was a really odd moment and I picked it up and went oh, what is this and like with I just looked at the back page and was like oh dear I think I found something I need and like devoured the book over the rest of my trip and um yeah like completely changed like I ticked off I think when you do the, the test I think there's 26 items I tick yes for 26 out of 26 wow <laughs> like, oh my goodness right up there right up there and yes. so it was like this huge biggest aha moment of my life to go oh that makes so much sense of everything yeah personal <laughs> professional yeah. everything Absolutely. oh my goodness yeah. that is a good story I love yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> all right well that, I've, I've read the book too and I can vouch for you that it is an incredible book um, so I will absolutely share that in the show notes um, should anyone else want to check it out too because, um, as you said, complete game changer. I think for anyone who is highly sensitive themselves but, of course, anyone parenting highly sensitive children too. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Lauren, um, where can people connect with you? Perhaps I, you could share with us where people can find you online. Absolutely. So I'm on Instagram a lot. So at Stutter Free Kids, mm -hmm. um, I share a lot about everything I just spoke about. Um, I also have a website, www.stutterfreekids.com. Um, and there's also on that website a little wait list coming up because I have a my first online program coming out really Amazing. soon, which is the culmination of all of my sort of integrative approach to stuttering and all of those kind of key foundations of you know language and physical health and well-being and connection and attachment as well as the 
all the speechy stuff that I am already trained in. So it's sort of all of my knowledge all in one place. Um, oh. And I, you know, specifically designed it because a lot of families I can't see one-on-one. So it's sort of a way to kind of put it all together and that will be coming out soon. So that's also on my website. Fantastic. And will that be an online um, yeah. self-paced course or how yeah. will that self-paced yes online self-paced um so you can work through it at your own time um but you know if you're really super concerned and super keen you can do it all in one day if you want binge on it i love it fantastic well i'll be sure to link to that as well lauren thank you again so much for your time and for your generosity and sharing um your knowledge and your passion for this work i'm sure it's going to resonate with so many families oh thanks for having me on jackie it's been wonderful to talk to you again as always Thanks for joining me and listening to this week's episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this content and are looking to dive deeper into the support that the Kind Parenting Company offers parents and caregivers, you will love the range of programs we have available. The range includes online programs for supporting baby and toddler sleep, most suitable for babies aged 0 to 24 months, and also Toddler Life, which is a guide for those raising children aged 2 to 4 years. Each program comes with access to video and audio files, as well as the opportunity to join the community forums. Podcast listeners receive 20% off all programs. Simply visit the Kind Parenting Company website and use the code KPCPODCAST20, that's KPCPODCAST20, at checkout. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.